So while our fellowship hall is being remodeled, I kind of just got me a, a little table right in the middle of it and a chair for my, my Sunday morning time. I'm sitting there and reading over everything and, and praying. And I said, man, I never picked anybody to read. So I texted Crystal. I said, uh, you got to find, find somebody to read. And, uh, she proceeded to ask a couple people who turned her down. But here's what's funny in that process, what she didn't know and, and, and nobody else really knew. In the middle of that prayer, when I, when I had opened my eyes, Stephen walked through the door. Hold on. I got it. This is confession as well as, as, as power. So we're talking about trust in the Lord. Since we've been talking about Hezekiah, the whole thing's been trust, right? If we trust him with things like eternity, how in the world can we not trust him with things like our marriage and our job and, and the next step in life and, and, and whatnot and, and all those that are going on, right? So the whole time I'm talking about trust and today is a, is a big trust. I mean, that's a big battle, right? But shouldn't we trust God with little things? Like if you're praying, God, give me somebody to read this morning and somebody walks in the door, shouldn't that be like, boom, thank you, Lord. I never get an answer quite that clear, quite that obvious. Your pastor's a moron, though. Because Stephen walks in and the first thing out of his mouth is, hey, can I go upstairs? I ain't got no Bible. So I let the devil put a little doubt in my head after the Lord had just answered a prayer with trust. And I said, well, if he ain't got no Bible, how in the world are we going to let him read chapter 19? So instantly I said, well, forget him. I'm not asking him. Even though the Lord had clearly brought him right through the door for me, I'm still not going to ask him because he ain't even brought his sword with him. You know, I was like, I, I got it all playing in. I'm just shooting straight with you, right? So he goes upstairs, he comes back down, I really wasn't paying attention, I, I come back in, I say, hey, you didn't message me back, so I'm assuming you got somebody to read, right? She said, well, you know I asked Beth, and she gave me some crappy excuse about not having a contact, and she tried to pass it on to her husband, who, man, they both get up and run away when they get talked about. Y'all point and laugh when they come back in. So so she, she passes it on to her husband, who says, I can't, so Crystal pulls out my favorite line, line we use at the house all the time with movies and food and whatnot, well, if you ain't going to do it, you're going to find somebody who's going to. You know what I'm saying? So somehow along that long process, Stephen still made it <laughs> to the pulpit to read. My point is this. Like, like it seems like such a small thing, but I hope you guys understand. Like, if I would have just trusted God when God gave me a clear answer, it had been 30 minutes less stress. Two people wouldn't have to feel guilty because they didn't read after being asked to. And they should feel guilty. I'll make sure to point out when I come back in. You know, but, 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 but my the thing is this. And then the second part, which we see played out in the scripture, is when God says it's going to be a way, it's going to be that way. The lack of me, I say it all the time, man. I, I don't want to not get involved because I want that blessing of being involved. But I can't stop God from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. God wanted Stephen to read for some reason. And despite my devil little evil head getting inside and saying, well, if he ain't got a Bible, how are you going to read? He still made it to the pulpit. To read. I've literally heard at least three, if not four, of the sermon points repeated this morning since we've started. I can't tell you how important this morning must be. You know what I'm saying? Like how, how, how much God's got planned. So if you've been visiting with us, jump online. You've got to catch back up real fast uh, because we are right in the middle of Hezekiah. We actually went up to verse 7 uh, last week in chapter 19, so you got a little extra reading to tell you where you're at. Uh, but Hezekiah is, is, is right in the middle of this. This thing where the writer of Kings is just thrilled by him. Don't let the devil stop you either. <laughs> but but think about it. 
I mean, it, it, it'd be simple as this. All right, so where we're at. So Hezekiah, we know last week, he's decided to trust in the Lord. He's decided to quit paying Assyria, all that stuff, and, and backtracking on all the stuff that his daddy had done and, and whatnot. And he gets to a point, and this army sends down these messengers. You know, Stephen just read it to, 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 to remind us. And they threatened. So Hezekiah goes to the Lord, and he spends some time with the Lord. And after that time period, you would think it's been dealt with, but it isn't. Because now Hezekiah is at a stage, he's starting in verse 8, where he gets this nasty ground. This hate mail. You know, y'all don't mail them to me. Y'all just tell me at the back door about things I said that shouldn't said and, and whatnot. But, but, but some people get hate mail. You know, things where, where they write about something they didn't like and, 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 and they weren't thrilled with. And he gets this hate mail from the enemy and the enemy starts going on and on about, wow, this ain't going to work out. He goes, well, let me remind you of what we've done. And he starts talking about all these eyes and, and whatnot. And, and it reminds me so much of Satan. Because Hezekiah's finally got back on track. He had his little slip that we looked at a few weeks ago. But he's back on track, man. And he's trusted in the Lord. And his relationship's growing. And then that just like our enemy, he'll do anything he can to discourage us right in the moment of growth. Right when we're coming out of a victory. Right when we're getting ready to go into a victory or, or whatnot. That's where Hezekiah is. And, and I think like a lot of us are probably can relate to Hezekiah this, at this moment. Where the enemy tries to discourage us. Because if he can discourage us, he can defeat us. Right? And, and, and he could have been, or he could have said, you know, that this is going to be it. What's the enemy discouraged you with? Maybe we need to make sure we get it in real life application. You know, he's telling Hezekiah and the city what they can't do. What's the enemy discouraged you with? You, you ain't got no Bible. You can't read. You slipped up the other day. You can't preach. I didn't like the way you treated her the other day. You can't sing. You know what I'm saying? What's the enemy stopping you? you? You can't be forgiven for them things you've done. Are you crazy? These things that you're choosing to live in are never going to change. Your prayers are useless. You're not good enough. What is all the things Satan's been throwing at you with hate mail? And whatever it is, write them all down so you can make sure you know every single one of them. And then at the very bottom, in big old, bold, sharpie style writing, put the devil is a liar. Because that's what scripture says about it. He's the father of lies, Right? And when we get to that stage and we realize that, we, we can kind of get like Hezekiah. Here, jump, jump forward to 14. We're going to go back to 14, but real quick, you need to see what Hezekiah does. Because Hezekiah, in the middle of the he gets this hate mail. And it's one thing to get hate mail after you thought things were going to get better and go in the corner and pout. Go whine to your spouse. Go whine to your friend or whatever. This guy, I don't even know if he finished you know, the bottom of the letter. It says that, that, that he's reading this letter, and then it says in verse 14, Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers, he read it, and then he went up to Yahweh's temple to spread it out before Yahweh. This guy don't mess around. He snatches it, he reads it, and when he realizes what it is, he goes, oh, well, this is a problem too big for me. I'm going straight to Yahweh with it. And, and he just lays it out. You know, we talk sometimes about laying things out at the altar. Man, if that ain't a cool verse to go with it, right? Why don't you lay out your hate mail at the altar? Why don't you lay out your hate mail before the Lord? Now, your altar could be your seat or this fancy thing up here. It could be something you build at the house. Don't think you've got to be in a certain spot to meet with God. God's everywhere, right? So, so, so he takes this thing and he lays it out before the Lord and he immediately goes, and I think sometimes we underestimate getting in the presence of God. Both public and private. Sometimes we don't want to do it in private because we're waiting to do it in public. And, and sometimes we just give up the public because we've been so busy in the private. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand how people miss church. I, I was having a discussion with somebody the other week and, and they were talking, man, how much time you got doing church stuff? That's what they called it, church stuff. Ain't Lord stuff, it's just church stuff, right? So I understand where they come from because we got different 
belief and, and, and whatnot views. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I was talking to Crystal about it. And I said, you know what? I don't know if a lot of that time would change even if we weren't pastoring. Like, I'm going to be at church on Wednesday. I ain't doing the lessons right now. Mitch is teaching this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I ain't I ain't got a, nothing today. Good week off. Thanks, Mitch. Take care of it. I ain't taking a week off. I'm coming to get fed. I'm coming to get in the word. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would be there on Sunday morning, regardless of whether I'm the one giving the message or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, we use excuses all the time about all this stuff. And, and we've underestimated the value of getting in the presence of God. I wouldn't make it through the week if I didn't get in the presence of God a whole lot. I'm just shooting straight with you. I'd be choking customers out or shooting half of them with the gun I keep in my desk drawer if I didn't meet with the Lord regularly on a regular basis. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just being serious. I don't know if my wife and kids would still be alive. You know what I'm saying? Like, I may have just squeezed them and, and went too far, but don't underestimate the presence of getting in the power of getting in the presence of God. He reads these letters. He, he presses them out, lays them out before the Lord, it said. And I wonder if he literally like laid them out. You know, let me lay it out, Lord, so you can you can read it yourself, which I'll get to in a minute. First Peter five, six says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you. My favorite part in due time which doesn't mean your time. Right. It means due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because why he cares for you. This guy prays, and these are some of the things we're going to look at as we go through this prayer. But he mentions the power of God. He mentions his problem to God. He mentions his position, both his position and God's position. Then he mentions what was so vital and so awesome to to, to show this trust. He mentions God's purpose in in this whole thing, right? So he's illustrating trusting in God, and he's setting the example. Remember our key verse for Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18.5, said that he trusted in Yahweh, the God of Israel, so that after him, there was none like him above all the kings of Judah, nor among all those that were before him. Meaning this, this guy's got so much trust. It don't mean he's perfect. It don't mean he's got anything else going for him. But he's got so much trust that there was none before and none after that trusted like this guy trusted. Man, I wish something like that could be written about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like could you imagine having that much trust? And let's look at some of this this trust that this is about to come in, because I think that's what the writer of Kings is doing. This is like one of the peak examples of Hezekiah's faith. I think this is, and, and my personal favorite I've been waiting to get to, is next week in chapter 20, right? Which is another prayer. And you could call it this. And let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me get on that so you note takers. You could call this, and some of your scriptures, mine has it as well, titled The Prayer of Hezekiah. But I'm afraid if you do that, you miss the point of what the writer of Kings is trying to write about with Hezekiah. I don't think it's an example of how to pray. I think he's giving us an example of how to trust. Do, do you understand the difference? Right? The, the, the best way to see Hezekiah's faith is, is through this prayer. And, I, and I'm not one. It seems weird to say this. So I want to make sure we're, we're on the same page, right? I'm not one to tell you like there's no power in prayer. But we talk about so much the power of prayer, the power of prayer, the power of, of prayer. And I don't want to refute that. I know James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effect of, that's the word, underline it, the effect of prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So then as we talk about the power of prayer, we better figure out what is effective prayer. Because I can pray all day long and just say a bunch of words. What what they say, I, it, it was one of, the, one, of the, one of the sermon points that just stood out to me, right? They can get up here and sing all morning long, but it ain't nothing but words and music if it ain't been anointed. Right? You can pray till you run out of breath and your throat, your throat is so sore you can't speak no more. 
But if it's not effective prayer, so, so here's where I want to clarify some of the, the, the misconceptions, right? Don't make, make sure not to put too much emphasis on, on prayer and not enough on the faith of how it's offered. Not so much emphasis on the prayer and forget about the God who it's offered to. We, we understand now how we're kind of going to divide this thing. Yeah, prayer is powerful, but it's only powerful because it's given to a powerful, great God who trusts in the great faith of his great children. Right? Because if we're doing anything else, you can't just say the power of prayer. Because if you were to say that to somebody outside the walls, power of prayer, what if they pray to Muhammad? Is that going to do them any good? What if they pray to Buddha? What if they want them hippie people and they pray in the trees? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm being serious. What, what if they just pray to like something that's been created? You can't pray to Buddha. You can't pray to Muhammad. You can't pray to the trees or anything else that's created because prayer only works with the power of God involved when we pray. Right? The, the power of prayer is not in the actual prayer. It's not even in the words. That's what I love sometimes. I, I've had people tell me before and I have to confess I, I had told Cassidy one time made sure her husband was there so it wasn't one of those weird moments, right? But I don't know, a year ago or whatever, I'd heard her pray and I, I said, Joshua, you got to come up here with me so I can say this in front of your wife. And I told her, I said, that, like, it, it, it was kind of a weird thing, so I hope you understand me in a spiritual sense. Like, that that was the most attractive prayer I've ever heard. Like, we talk about beauty all the time and we talk about awesome people all the time and, and, and having money and all this stuff. Man, when somebody got that kind of, like, anointing from, from a prayer, and you could feel it like like it, it, it was that special. Right. So don't get your little weird self out of it. It wasn't like that kind of weird. It was just that awesome of a moment. I had to had to tell her about it. But there's no power in the words. There's there's really not because it's power in the faith that's behind the words. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's power in, in who you're speaking them to. You know, it's one of the reasons some of you may disagree. We may hate this right here, but it's one of the reasons like I hate the sinner's prayer. I hate it. I really do. Like, I've never opened my Bible and found it yet. And I've talked to a lot of my brothers who use it and all the time. And I'm like, man, just show me where it's at and I'll start using it too. It ain't there. Like, the, the prayers for salvation are some of the shortest, ugliest prayers you've ever seen, if I can just be honest with you. Right? But they're some of the ones that meant the most to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord knew the heart condition. Right? It, it, it's, and the reason I say that is this. Because you'll watch these people on TV. And they'll be like, oh, just repeat after me. You know, I am a sinner. Da, 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 and they, they roll through or whatever. And then at the end, they always have this thing. And if you said that prayer, please write us, call us, send us in a check and let us know so that we can know that we're on the same. It's like it's a magical seance that you're saying. It ain't a magical seance that you're saying. Right. God doesn't say, like, I, I love the, the, the one that can pray and I, and I forgive the one that can pray. He says what? I forgive because of the faith. Behind the prayer. Right? And when you got faith, then you got this kind of trust like Hezekiah, and your whole life changes. It ain't just words that you repeated. It's now you go home and start getting rid of stuff, and you don't even know why you're getting rid of it. You just get rid of it because the Lord said it's gotta go. Right? Like that that's the kind of difference that we ought to be getting into. When Jesus spoke on prayer, Matthew chapter six, and he said, When you were praying, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles. I, I think back since we in the old testament, I think back to like when they were standing at the mountain. And you remember Elijah came up to him and he was like, man, maybe you should say it a little louder. And they chanted a little louder to their God. He goes, oh, man, maybe he's sitting on the pot like he didn't. He's in the porta potty and the door shut and he didn't really hear you say he says it. I promise you read it if you missed that week. Right. Like, like and he says, go back and just just keep repeating it. 
And they, think, they thought they could nag their God into answering. And Jesus said, don't, don't do that junk, right? Don't be like them. So, so here's what you do. You, so your father knows what's before them. you just ask him. Meaning this, prayer doesn't force God to do anything. Mark chapter 12, he also rebuked the people for, the, for that type of nonsense, right? He's saying just because your prayer is long and eloquent and emotionally moving, that doesn't mean it's effective. You know how many churches are full of people that probably prayed the sinner's prayer and lost? Maybe I need to give that kicker in there so make sure you understand, right? Bunch of them. Bunch of them. Why? Because that prayer, apart from faith, is nothing. And, and I know some of you may be thinking about like examples like the midnight call or Luke chapter 11. You know, a guy who came in and begged, or the, or the widow in Luke chapter 18, where, where she was constantly begging and, and going on and on, and almost like she was nagging Jesus, right? And Jesus did what? He answered her. So you're like, oh, God loves a, a nagging prayer. Like he wants, he wants to be nagged to the point. Any parent here love to be nagged to the point where they finally tap in. No, not a one of us, right? The point is, here, here's the, the point is that Jesus, Jesus loves them because, and, and is amazed by them and is answering them, not because they're persistent, but because they believed he was the only hope and they wouldn't leave for that reason. And, and I can prove it by what he says at the very end of, of both of them, right? He didn't ask, uh, or I'm sorry, at the very end he ends with the question on both of those illustrations. He said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's how I know it's about faith, not about persistence. Because Jesus gives these two stories and then he doesn't say, will the father find persistence on earth? No, he says, will the father find faith on earth? And a faith that trusts is persistent, true, but it's persistent because of the faith, right? right? So, so, so I just want to make sure we get that because I don't want you reading Hezekiah's prayer and thinking, man, those are magical uh, potions that the pastor gave us. We can pray that way and God answer us. No. I'm not telling you if you copy the words of Hezekiah, God's going to deliver you and, and whatnot. So rather than call it the faith of prayer or the power of prayer, you can call it the faith of Hezekiah, okay? So let's jump in this thing and, and see what he does. Oh, hold on. I jumped way too far ahead. I'm sorry. We got to see why he does what he does. Go back to verses 8 through 13. We got this, this other guy taunting and still setting the tone, right? You remember last week we talked about he taunted Jerusalem with a message. He mocked their strength. He confirmed their fears. He appealed to their lusts. And then he encouraged their doubt. His whole aim was to get Jerusalem to surrender without a fight. You know, the enemy, enemy doesn't even want to fight you sometimes. He'll get you to quit before he ever goes toe to toe with you. And I think that's sad that we profess to be such strong, faith-filled, courageous people of God. Yet we'll tap out before we even get into a fight. You, you know what I'm saying? Like we will quit before we even try. Marriages quitting before trying. Raising children the right way. Oh, we just tap out because they didn't like it and they stopped liking us. Their job's not to like you. It ain't their job. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if you don't like me. Get over it. You know what I'm saying? Your job is to love me. Your job is to respect me. My job is to take care of you and to train you. But there ain't nothing in Scripture that says about liking one another. You know what I'm saying? Like we need to understand the difference. And there's a big difference. Right? Go even deeper with this thing. Talk about wanting to get into a fight. Hezekiah takes his dilemma to the Lord. And the Lord told him last week, he said, I'm going to put a spirit in him. I'm going to put a rumor around and he's going to leave. Now, it's one thing to hear God tell you, I'll supply a reader. It's another thing when one walks through the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's a big difference, man. And that's this is actually the beginning of what's unfolding. Like these three spokesmen are down there. They're talking this, this trash still to the kid. And in verse eight. It says that they returned, but but their king had left also. 
Now, you can imagine if that's not the battle plan. You return from talking trash down here with another group of people. Remember, they were even talking about, like, if you had 2,000 people to even ride the horses, we would give you the horses to ride, and it still wouldn't help you guys. I mean, there, there was some mad trash talk going on, right? This guy gets back. He runs back up to the hill where the, the army is, and they're like, what, what's going on? Everybody's packing up. He's like, oh, the, the king is, he's heard a rumor, and he's got to go. So we're going to go, too. They're like, what the heck? Right? Verse 9, it said, when he heard them saying this, uh, the king of Cush, behold, has come to fight against you. He says, man, I, I got to go. I got I to gotta take care of them, right? This was the rumor God spoke of. And notice, as he's leaving, that's when he says, you know what? Let's write this letter to let him know we're coming back. Right? So, so we're coming back. And, and in that letter, he says, God's not going to deliver you. He's basically, verse 10, calling God a liar. Right? God, you think God can deliver you? It's kind of like Satan with, with Eve in the garden. Then he goes even further in 11 through 13. He says, not only God will not deliver you, God cannot deliver you. This guy is getting very, very self-confident, right? He says, even if God desired to deliver you, he could. Look at all the other kings. Look at all the other gods. Look at all the other places that we've destroyed. And nobody stood a chance against us. Satan longs to get us to quit trusting God and to pull away and make ourselves vulnerable, right? So in this letter, he says all this stuff, and then he closes it with, I promise I'm going to be back to get you later, right? So already defeated, already over, doesn't even know it, kind of like Satan, yet throwing out threats. And this call for Hezekiah is like the call for all Christians. Put up the shield of faith, defuse the flaming arrows, and, and, and go at this thing. So Hezekiah's trust, 14 through 19. We just looked at 14. The first thing Hezekiah does with this letter, right? And I, and I love this for, for two, two reasons. One, that just that it's that immediate, right? He reads the letter, snatches the letter from the messenger, reads it, and, and then, then he takes it to the Lord. I love it because of this. What is Hezekiah? We talked about it a couple weeks ago, so you might not remember. I know you scholars will, though, right? What's one of the What's one of the first things Hezekiah did when he came on the scene? Oh, come on, make me proud! Somebody shout it out. What did he open back up? You, that's like a give me. The temple. Here's why I love it. He didn't open the temple back up for show. He opened it up for something that could be used, right? Like, I wonder sometimes when Christians in the world, we start, like, arguing over the fight for, for freedom and the fight for this and the fight for that. Are you fighting for something you're even going to use? Right? Hezekiah, he fought to open the temple, but he didn't just fight it so it could be open. He, fight it so, he fought for it to open it so that he could actually use it. And it's not just taking this to God. Do you, do you think God really didn't know, like, what was happening? I mean, you think he laid that letter out and he's like, God, I know you don't understand. So I'm laying it out and you probably pressed it. Like, let me make it real clear so you can see the lines like really, really well. Here's what this is. This is, this is really cool, man. This is done by Hezekiah as an act of faith because here's why. He's already determined he's going to trust God because he's given his throne in his city to God. Now, what that means is this. When this letter comes in, Hezekiah's messengers, they brought it to Hezekiah because to their messengers, who's in charge? Hezekiah. So Hezekiah takes it. He reads it. He's like, oh, this isn't for me. This is for the Lord. Right? So he gives it to what? Who's really in charge? What are you trying to take control of and read about and perform on that you ain't even in charge of? Right? Hezekiah's got that kind of faith. He goes, oh, man, this, this isn't for me. This, this is for the Lord. So, so you can picture him almost sitting before the Lord and be like, hey, I, I got a letter that was written. Just for you. So, and here, here's, here's, here's what that kind of trust is. Lord, I don't have to decide what to do 
you do. If you're a true believer and you truly get this relationship with the Lord going, the beauty of trusting Yahweh is that you don't have to decide what to do. He decides for you. Like, like it's great. He, he takes care of you. No longer have to worry about how to handle the situation or how to approach it or or what do you? You just give it to the one who handles everything, and he'll command how to do it. Right? The city belonged to the Lord, so Hezekiah takes the letter to him. It's a declaration. This ain't a cry for help. Hezekiah is totally changed, man. He's going at this thing in such a different sense that he went out with it just a few verses ago. This is almost like he's going and having a victory party. I told Crystal last night we were going down the road. She was like, well, if you could summarize the, the chapter, how would you summarize? And she's always trying to get me to think of my Facebook post or a title or whatnot. I said, it's the greatest battle that never happened. I mean, it really is. It would have been the most greatest battle ever. If they had won the battle, literally, historians write, even unbelievers, if they had, if Assyria had won the battle, we wouldn't have a lineage for Jesus Christ. Which means you and I wouldn't be meeting here today. Like, that's how vital... This battle is like how important it would have been. Yet it, it never took place. Why? Because we read or Stephen read the enforce. The guy gets his butt beat and he's not even there. Right. So, so as he's going on this thing, he's not trying to trust God. He is trusting God. Right. God has already told him everything that he, he needs to know. And he, he's just going with it. And I, maybe that maybe that's maybe you should write that down if you're a note taker. What has God already told you not going with? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes God's already given us the answer and maybe we didn't like it. So we're trying to seek out a different answer. You ever been like that? My, my wife is the, I can pick on her because she's gone to get baby shower stuff. Right. So, so cake, you know, and good food. Right. So, so, so she'll ask me, Hey, what do you think of this outfit? The outfit looks awesome, baby. I like it. Oh, what do you know? So she'll send a picture to a friend. Why you ask me that? Right. And then if that friend don't give the exact answer, she won't, she'll send it to, so if you've been getting text messages, don't think you're the only one getting this message, right? You just like me. So if she get the answer she wants, she's going to keep sending out the, the picture, right? But we do that sometimes, do we not? What do you think I should do? Uh, I don't know if I like that answer. I'm going to go ask somebody else. Right? Hezekiah said, God, what do you think I should do? And, and God gave an answer. He goes, well, I'm going to send a rumor and that guy's going to run away. Hezekiah said, okay, that's it. God has spoken. That's what's going to happen. I just wish we had that kind of trust, man. So much trust. And to prove he's got this trust now, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. At the beginning in 19, remember when he went to the, to, to, to the temple the first time? He's tearing clothes and got the ash on and, and, and all that sign of mourning and all that stuff, right? He's desperate. He's in agony. He's worrying, right? All those emotions are going through, right? Just like we would have had, right? Now look at him after the threat. When he goes this time to the temple, he ain't tearing no clothes. He ain't wearing no sackcloth. These are not the words of a man who's in distress or despair. He's not in a panic. He's not overcome with fear. This is the prayer about a, a, this is not the prayer, I'm sorry, about a desperate man hoping God's going to deliver. This is the prayer of a man who's got so much faith, he knows God already promised to deliver. God, you already told me this is important to you, so I know you're going to deal with it. I've already, you've already said, how you going, do you see this kind of faith? I want to make sure we see it because it's, it's that kind of faith that gets his prayer answered, not the fancy words that he says, right? So we got that part. We got it, how he comes to it. Sometimes I think we come to God with too much doubt rather than faith. And maybe that's why the process to get us where God's trying to get us is a little bit longer. God said, oh, I ain't done training you yet. You hadn't been trained enough yet. You ain't been groomed enough yet. So you're going to have to you're going to have to go about it a different way. We still go get Stephen to the pulpit to read the verse. But 
but we're going to have to go about it a different way. You know what I'm saying? Like how perfect is that, right? So, so, so look at this. Here's what he praised. If you go the right way. First thing he says, verse 15. 15 is awesome. Then Hezekiah prayed before Yahweh. Yahweh, God of Israel, who's enthroned above the cherubim. You are God. You alone are the kingdom. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen to what he's doing, man. First thing he does is just talk about the greatness of God. How many times you go to God and start a prayer like that? Huh? Half time we falling down crying over something, begging for something. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. Lord, help me more, right? He goes into God. He ain't even said the problem yet. All he's doing is talking about God. You're the God of Israel. You're enthroned. You alone are the Lord. You alone have all the kingdoms of earth. You've made heaven and earth. You've done it all. God, you're great. This is not a king that hopes God is great. This is a king who knows God is great. When you pray, do you know or are you hoping? Makes a big difference, am I right? Here's why it makes a big difference. Understand me loud and clear. Because if you only hoping, you might not be praying to the same God I'm praying to. Which then puts you in pagan practice and idolatry. Right? Because when you know who you pray into, it's the real Yahweh, right? That's why he uses that name. Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? The, the faith is the, is the some things we don't see. We talk about that effective prayer. What does it say? James 5.16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We're not just looking for prayer. We're looking for effective prayer. Hezekiah has come to tell God why he's not worried. God, I'm not worried because you're the man. Right? Do, do you ever do you ever think about that? Like when you come to the Lord? Or do you come telling him, God, I'm so scared. I'm so, now, don't get me wrong. There are moments where, yes, God wants you to be honest, right? But man, if that's all you ever come to God with. I mean, Hezekiah just came to the Lord in a whole different way. So I'm not, I'm not telling you there's one way. But I'm telling you, if that's the only way you ever come to the Lord, there's a problem. Hezekiah's got so much faith in coming. He said, God, I, I'm not really worried because I know who you are. I know what you can do. I know, I know where you are, right? James chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If, if you like that, ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, like help me. So who gives generously without reproach. Uh, but he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts. He's like the surf of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind, for the man ought not expect, he will not receive. He's double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Hezekiah don't have this problem. He is certain on who God is, right? So he goes with the, knowing who God is. Second thing he goes with, how real God is. Look at 16, 16 through 18, right? This is trust. This man not in agony or despair, a man with confidence and, and certainty. Look at the comments, verse 16. Listen closely, Yahweh. And here, you imagine talking to God like this. God, lean in, lean in. I want to make sure you get it all right. Listen closely. I want to make sure you hear. I want, I want you to open your eyes, Yahweh. And I want you to see. I want you to hear the words that this little punk's been saying about you. He's trying to mock you. He's calling you out, right? You, you know what Hezekiah is really doing here? Remember, this is this is a big area of, of pagan practice and idolatry, right? He's saying all these other gods are dead. This God is alive. My God, Yahweh, he can hear and he can see. He's probably thinking back to something David wrote in Psalm 115, where he said their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They've got mouths, but they can't speak. They got eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, but they can't hear. They got noses, but they can't smell. They got hands, but they can't feel. They got feet, but they can't even walk. They can't even make a sound with their throat. I love how David got to throw that in. You know what I'm saying? Like it's one thing to be able to speak and make sentence, 
But but he says, you know what? They can't even <clears throat> they can't they can't even make a sound with their throat, right? Hezekiah, he's confident. Yahweh can hear. Yahweh can see. Yahweh is the real God, right? This is important because he needs Yahweh to see and hear this thing, right? Look look at his viewpoint. Hezekiah is not complaining that Shanirib reproached him. He's just telling God, Shanirib reproached you. Note it. You, do you understand how the viewpoint has changed? He's not God. My enemy's picking on me and talking trash. He's like, God, the enemy's picking on you. You imagine telling God that? Like, it's like the king's messenger that came to Hezekiah. Hezekiah's like, oh, that ain't no big deal. It ain't about me. It's about God. So he takes it and he's like, God, you're, I just thought you should know there's a problem you're going to have to deal with. Right? It, it's like this non, nonchalant, like passive idea. It's like he's got like his, his beach bag packed, right? It's summertime. He's got his towels and he's got his sunscreen. He got a change of clothes and he gets this letter and he tells God, he goes, God, I'm, I'm still headed to the beach, but you got a problem to deal with. And I want you to understand it because when we talk about Hezekiah, we have to understand it's not prayerful words. It's trust. That's why every chapter with Hezekiah talks about his trust in God. He's got so much trust. He's not worried anymore. He had that mishap, we talked about it, where he let trust get away. But now that he's got trust back, there's no more of that. He's not worried at all. He's not scared. He's good to go. 17 through 18, God, you're real. And because you're real, you can handle all this. I'm taking this burden to you. And I love this. He didn't try to help God with it. Y'all ever take a problem to God and then try to help God with it? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you going to do? You, you know, you ever think about it that way? You couldn't handle it on your own, so now you want to take it to God, and you don't think God can handle it on his own either, so you want to help God. Well, God, I was just trying to work it out for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was just trying to, trying to get it, get it there to where, where you would, you would take care of it, right? I'll understand this, because I think, well, I'm going to go ahead and spill it so it comes out. If this guy had tried to help God, because here's where mine went, my mind went. I'm probably with Cliff and uh, maybe Guy or one or two other like military mindset kind of people, right? Like thinking security-wise. I'm thinking if I get this letter and this guy's on the run, if I'm Hezekiah, I'm going to send me a sniper out. Now, I know he got a bow and arrow sniper. He's like Rambo sniper, okay? I ain't saying he got a gun. I know they didn't have them back then, right? So he's got his slingshot or he's got his bow and arrow, and he's sneaking up, right? And eventually he gets to a stage where he's close enough where he could have killed that guy, right? But then he'd have made God out to be a liar because he'd have stuck his nose in something that wasn't his business. Do you understand the difference? Sometimes when we try to help God, <laughs> we can really ruin what God's got planned. Right? Do, do, do you see that picture now? And that's where he's going. And, and he says this. And, and here's how he goes into 19. Talking about the, the glory of God, right? I love this word, man. Verse 15, he said, the God. Verse 19, now what is he calling? Now, Yahweh, our God, please save us from this hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Yahweh, God alone. Don't mm unless you get it. This is more than conviction. This is allegiance, right? Please notice why he wants God to deliver. This is not God, please save us because I don't want to get my tail beat. This is not God, please help me so I can pay my bills. 
This is not God, please rescue me so I can get that new car. This is not God, help me so I can have a new friend. This is not God, help me so I can have a spouse. This is not God, help me so I can have a child. This is none of that. This is God. I want you to deliver us from his hand, the enemy, so that all the kingdoms on the earth may know that you are Yahweh, the Lord alone. This is all he cares about. It's not about comfort. It's not about deliverance. It's all about the glory of God. He's saying, God, if you're going to save us, great. Let the whole world know. If you're not going to save us, oh well, let the whole world know. All he cares about is that God, this is, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember when they stood before the king and, and the king said, look here, you can bow or you can get in the furnace. Right? Furnace so hot it was killing people that actually took them closer to it, right? They said, they said this right here, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, 18. Our guy will deliver. They believed it. But even if he doesn't, we ain't bowing to you. We use the phrase, come what may. Whatever comes my way, as long as God is orchestrating it and in the deal with it, this is faith on a whole new level, man. If you ain't got this kind of faith, you, you ain't there yet. And, and I think we should all be exercising to get there. I don't think you should be there yet, right? Like this is exercising to get some Hezekiah kind of faith. It's faith that says, I'm in your hand to the extent. God, I don't care what you choose to do. I only care that you get the glory. You know what I'm saying? Like I only care that people know how awesome you were from this. I'm only concerned about what brings you glory. How about that? You ever pray that way? Or is your prayer still full of stuff about what makes you happy? Right? I got people all the time using that. What the Bible says is, if I pray, I get whatever I ask for. It's not what the Bible says. Not at all. You know what I'm saying? Well, I've been asking for it and God ain't gave it to me yet. It just said, if I, if I pray about it, I get everything I ask for. That ain't what it says. It says, I will give you what? Everything according to what? My will. God speaking. Right? So you ain't getting everything just because it's your will. Right? This is an enormous amount of faith. He's not pleading with God, wrestling with God, nagging God. He's just trusting God. And the word, not the words, but the, the action behind it, the faith behind it, the trust behind it speaks volumes, man. It's the kind of faith that God's looking for. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is not an aim at teaching you what to say or how often to say it. This is an aim at teaching you the type of faith that's got to accomplish what you or accompany what you say. Right? I like Ezekiel ain't got no literary skills, poetry skills, emotional skills. He's just got great faith. He's not terrified. He's not desperate. He's confident. He's now changed it from, from the God to our God. Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and who trusts in Yahweh, trusts in the Lord. For he's like a tree that's been planted by the water and extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes. Y'all don't know about heat right now. Y'all need to get outside and get you an outside job. But the leaves will be green and it will be anxious in a year. Of, it will not be anxious in a year of drought or cease to yield fruit. Look at God's response to this thing. Yeah, I got time. We're good. Look at God's response. I was worried. Verse 20. God comes on the scene now. He's heard this prayer of Hezekiah. He's seen his attitude and the faith and the trust behind it. And randomly, Isaiah comes rolling up. Now, is there anything that tells us about Isaiah knowing specifically what Hezekiah just talked to God about what he needed? 
No. We, we own a whole separate note now. You know, you get away from that, right? This is fascinating, right? Hezekiah didn't tell Isaiah that he was going to consult God or anything else, right? This is, this is kind of like proof that God hears and God answers. You, you ever had one of those moments where like you've been praying about something and then God like sends somebody to give you the answer clear as day? You, you know what I'm saying? Like you've been, you've been dreading it and you've been, you've been praying over it. You may have even been fasting over it and you've been begging over it. And, and just because you want to seek God's will and you want it to be for God's will, you genuinely really do. If it don't work out, to the glory of God. If it works out, glory of God. But I just want God to be glorified through my decisions. And then randomly, somebody rolls on up with a, with a note or a word or a story or an illustration. I love when God does something like that, man. It's awesome, right? And that's kind of where he's at. So Isaiah rolls up on the scene in verse 20 and say, Yahweh, the God of Israel says, I heard your prayer. What? Isaiah, hey, you know I was praying. Right? I mean, it ain't no secret where I'm at. I'm sure the whole city is talking about it. But how'd you know what to come in and, and tell me about it? Specifically, this prayer is about what? Assyria. This is great stuff, man. And he's saying this. I like how God says it. Because you prayed to me about this, I've heard you. What is it that you've been wanting God to answer that you ain't been praying about? Because what he says here is, because you've prayed about it, I've heard you and I answered. Which means the opposite. If you ain't been praying about it, how are you going to answer it? Right? And he goes even deeper. Hezekiah took the problem to God. God responded with his faith. And, and here's what it is. It wasn't about what he said. It's, it's about who he said it to. Now, now we're talking about God. Now God is, is moving because of the faith and the trust. And he has this message for the king of Syria. <laughs> I love this scene. I don't know how many people really catch what goes on here, right? So like, king of Assyria been talking trash. Hezekiah don't miss no beat. God, he's talking trash about you. You know, or maybe Hezekiah was more like, you ever had one of them friends in high school? Or maybe middle school when you was one of them little punks, right? And, and, and like you tried to promote it a little more, right? And man, you won't believe what he said about you, dog. Right? You gonna let him talk about you like that? And maybe, maybe that person is not the kind of person that gets really upset about what's said about him. So you open a little bit, right? You hear what he said about your wife? You know what I'm saying? You hear what he said about your kids? Huh? Now you laugh. That is exactly what happens. Right? Because what, what, what comes on the scene? Check it out right here. It's awesome. God said, oh, I'm going to respond now. Like you done poked the bear enough. It's time for me to get involved. Right? And here's what he comes into. Look at 21 and 22. First thing he tells you. You're an idiot. Right? He calls him a fool. Look, look at what he says. He goes, Assyria, you, you've been you've been belittling and, and messing with Jerusalem. Or so you called them weak and you called them powerless. And, and you said they were destined for captivity. He's calling him out on everything he said. He's like, this ain't going to be no two-way street. Like, I'm going to make sure you know what you said, right? But what Assyria is foolish to realize is that an attack on God's people is an attack on God himself. Right? You might have didn't get mad when they were talking about you. But they started talking about your wife and your kids. And what did they talk about that grandbaby? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know. You don't cross the line, dog. We're going to get it on now. And that's what God is saying. He goes, man, you're, you're an idiot. You're, uh, he's literally calling him a fool. Right? Verse 23, the very first line of it. Though your messengers, you've reproached the Lord. 
To make sure you understand in case you're thinking this is like some kind of Old Testament mocking of God kind of thing. Go to Acts chapter 9, 3 through 5. Paul on his road to Damascus, right? 3 through 5. As he was traveling, it appeared that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell on the ground and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting Christians. Not why are you persecuting Jews. Not why are you persecuting Gentiles. Now, why are you persecuting church folks? Now, why are you persecuting the Baptists or the Pentecostals or the Bapticostals or the Holy Rollers or whatever else? Right? None of that. Why are you persecuting me? And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. An attack on God's people is an attack on God. That ought to make you feel good. Make me feel real good because I'm God's wife and I'm God's child. And I'm God's grandchild. You know what I'm saying? Like if it made you that man for your three, what in the world must be going on if I'm all three of them bottled up into one for Yahweh, right? That's good stuff, man. He said, look here, you can talk trash to me, but you ain't going to cross them lines, fool. Look at the second thing he says. I'm telling you, he calls him a fool. You better read it and make sure you understand it, right? Second thing he tells you, it's important how God responds to the enemy. Second thing he tells you, you're a fraud. I don't know you're a fool, but you're a fraud. Look at 23 through 26, really 23 and 24, right? You, you, you see the arrogance there? He goes, you mocked the Lord through your messengers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You said, with my mini chariots, I've gone up. You can almost picture God like getting that mocking voice going, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think he did. I might be wrong, so I'll stand like over here. Y'all know how it works. Like, if it ain't 100%, I can't be behind that, right? Right? So he, says, so he says this. Look at 23. You mocked the Lord through your messengers. You said... With my many chariots, I've gone up over the heights of the mountains. In the far resources of Lebanon, I cut down the tallest cedars. It's choice cypress trees that I come at you with. And the furthest outposts and the densest forest. I dug wells. I drank water in foreign lands. I got up on the streams of Egypt. God's saying like, whoopty freaking do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's calling him out. He goes, this is all, this is what you want to come at me with? This is what you want to come at me with? Look, look, look at, you're using a lot of eyes and eyes. Oh, you, you think you powerful, right? You've got your own strength? Huh? Look, look back at 18, 33 through 35. I just want to make sure we fair and we understand it, right? Should be on the same page if you got a good Bible. <laughs> has any of the gods of the nations ever rescued from the land of this place? You know, has any of the gods of Hamath or Aramid or anybody else? Where are the gods of these places? What, how have they rescued from, from your power? He's going on and on about all this stuff and how mighty he thinks he is, right? So God, God said, you fraud. You think you got all this? You think you're omnipotent? You think you're somebody special? Hold on, I ain't done yet. Let me get to verse 25. Have you not heard? You ever seen somebody when they're getting ready to fight? Especially if it's two girls. I'm telling you right now, two girls. Not that we want the physical fight in a girl, but like they're the best trash talkers in the world. Especially if they got a little hood in them. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm being serious, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like they get it on, man. Right? So you can picture like God, he mocks him a little bit. Oh, you did this and you did that and you got this and you got this. Then he pauses and, and I love my Bible's got a little gap right there. I think that gap's on purpose. I'm serious because it's like this pause. You ever had that pause right before? You wonder, like, who's going to say what first? He done called him out so much and got him so scared. He ain't speaking. 
God said, I'm going to pause long enough. The gap ain't really there on purpose, y'all, okay? No, please don't go home in Bible study and think that gap's there on purpose, right? But but that gap is there, and God said, I'm going to pause long enough to see if you're dumb enough to respond one more time. But he don't. So God says, have you not heard? Have you not got ears to listen have you not been listening all along? Have you not, have you not really paid attention to what's happening? I love it. Except for when God tells me that word. You laugh, but be honest. How many times God had to look at you? Have you not heard? Are you not listening? What is wrong with you? Where's your faith? Where's your trust? <laughs> Here's what he was supposed to hear. I designed it a long time ago. You thought you was winning this fight because you was awesome? You went in this fight because I made it up. You're a paper champion. I fixed this fight. I thought you was going to fight my varsity squad, so I sent out the B team. You ain't beat nobody. And think about it. All this time, he ain't beat nobody because why? God ain't been involved. The power of Israel the whole time been what? The Lord. Right? So he says, you ain't really ain't beat nobody. He goes on. I planned it days long ago. I've now brought it to pass. I, I've made this happen. I'm the one who's in charge. This is God speaking. You've crushed fortified cities into piles of rubble. Their inhabitants have become powerless, dismayed, and ashamed. They are plants in the field of tender grass, grass on the rooftops, blasted by the east wind. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in. What, what is God? What is God really, really getting to tell him right here? He's saying you're a fraud. You didn't do none of this stuff you're bragging about. Everything you think you've accomplished, you've only accomplished because I let you accomplish it. Right? I, Isaiah says something in chapter 10. I love it. Right? Verse 15. It said, is the axe to boast of itself when it chops, when, when someone else chops with it? Is it the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. What Isaiah is saying is, man, do you think like when the axe chops down a big old tree, it gets up and says, look at me. No, because what's the axe doing if nobody's throwing it? Nothing. Right? And that's, that's kind of where God's going with him. He goes, man, you're, you're an idiot. You're totally missing it. Like, I'm letting you do this. I've been doing this all along to punish them. Remember? We don't like that part, but it's true. We need to make sure we remember it. God has been using them to punish the sins of Israel and Judah. God purposed this. God planned this. God allowed this. God said, I'm going to send a B team in. You ain't beat nobody. Right? So not only are you a fool, not only are you a fraud, verse 27 and 28, now you're finished. You're done. You, you, done, you done stepped up for the last, you done crossed that line. Right? God letting you know your victorious days are over. Look at 28B. I will put my hook in your nose. I love God trash talking, man. It's awesome, right? I'm going to put a hook in your nose and a bridle in your lips. I will turn you back in the way in which you came. Y'all ever seen a bull? Like a real bull. I ain't talking about like one of them like, you know, little cartoon things. I'm talking about like a man, son. That's a big old animal. That's a lot of muscle. That's a lot of power, right? You ever, you ever seen one with one of them hooks in his nose? That's because no matter how big and powerful you is, if somebody snatch on that thing, you're going to go whatever direction they go. Anybody want to try it out? I'll put a hook in your nose right now. Who think they're the biggest, baddest, strongest person here? I will I will get you to chase me all around this place, right? That's, that's what he said. He goes, man, you, you thought you was big and bad, and you is big. 
But you ain't as bad as you're thinking. I'm going to put a hook in your nose or a bridle on you and I'm going to control you. There's no doubt God's somewhat getting angry now, right? And he's taking his anger out on the Assyrians. He said, I've seen enough. I done heard enough. I done decided the siege is over. Now, here's what I love. It wasn't even because of the enemy. Keep in mind the timing of all this. God said, I'll keep using the arrogant person if I need to. But God saw what Judah did, has desired. Their desires have changed. Why? Because what, what's happened at this point? Judah's removed the high places. Judah's reinstated to Passover. Remember, he did Passover for, for the first time. And they said, man, it was greater than it had ever been since David did it. So good to what? Let's go two weeks instead of one week. He reopened the temple. Judah's king is walking by faith. Like God's like, all right, I've accomplished. I've sent down some training process. So, some regrouping and, and they're getting it. They're finally learning, right? These are the things God wanted to see. And God tells him, Hezekiah, you prayed that I would hear. I've heard. You prayed that I would see. I'm seeing it. And God looked directly at the mocker of Assyria. He said, you fool, you fraud, you're finished. Look at what he says, 29 through 34. God just made it a promise, what, that Assyria was going to leave, right? Now he gives him another sign. Now, if you're Isaiah speaking or God speaking to Isaiah, you need to understand the confidence here, too. He's actually going to predict something that could be proven wrong. Right. So if it happens any other way, everybody's going to be able to say phony. Right. This, this is precise. This is, this is how long time it is. Right. And he tells Hezekiah in 29 through 34. And I, and I love the wording the writer uses. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you a sign. And here's why I like it, in case y'all forgot. Hezekiah's father, you remember? He failed to trust God. And he made this deal with the Assyrians. And, and God said what? When he sent the messenger of God to him. He went, went to old, old butthead and he said, that was my glean way of saying it from a couple weeks ago. I got in trouble for that. Right? So he went to him, he went to him and he told him, he said, hey, I'll give you a sign. And, and what did Ahaz say? I don't want no sign. I don't want no sign. I don't need no sign. Thank God Hezekiah is not like his father. He trusts in the Lord. Hezekiah said, give me the sign. You know what I'm saying? If God says, I want to show you a sign, you say, give me the sign. Right? God, I want somebody to read through the door. Man, I'm a moron. You know what I'm saying? I can't get it out of my head now. It's just there. Right? So, so, so here's what it goes. Here's the sign. God offers a sign to Hezekiah 29 through 31. We're getting to the end. Hang on. This will be a sign for you. This year you will eat what grows on its own. And in the second year, what grows from that? But in the third year, you'll sow and reap and plant a vineyard and eat their fruit. Now, I got to be honest. Isn't that just like God? Maybe y'all didn't catch it. God said, I'm going to give you a sign, but I kind of get in trouble some areas. I'll be praying like Gideon prayed. Y'all know the Gideon fleece? Y'all know Gideon and his fleece? So Gideon wanted to know what he should do, and he said, God, I'm going to throw this fleece out there, and you're going to make it wet and all the, all, the, all the ground around it dry. God said, okay, I'll appease to you, and he does it. Then Gideon is an instant idiot, kind of like myself. And he says, you know what, God, I made a mistake. I didn't mean make the fleece wet and the ground wet. I meant to make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And if any of you are reading it right now and saying, Pastor, you got it out of order, I don't care. It's not the point. Right? I could be out of order. <laughs> but anyway, he does it again. What, and what I'm saying is this. When we pray to God and we ask for a sign, we want that instant sign. I love Burger King. I want it my way and I want it right now. Right? I want that microwave dinner. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, boom. But I want the microwave dinner, but with the, the barbecue grill taste. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm open a little bit. God, and here's what I mean by what God loves to do. 
God loves to do stuff and take his own time doing it. Right? Are you reading it? He says, this year you ain't going to have nothing but enough to eat. You can picture him like the people in the wilderness, what? Whining and complaining later on. This is all we get. This is it. What? I ain't hungry. I'm eating, but but this is it. And then the second year, you'll get what grows from there. Oh, wow. I get a little bit more. Great. I got to wait three years to get a real celebration going on. Is that our attitude sometime? Isn't it? What's God actually saying? He goes, you got three years of security guaranteed. Three years. Them little Assyrian punks ain't even going to think about coming back. You know what I'm saying? Like three years, you were safe as it can get. Right? Not not an immediate answer. But but here's what I often wonder. Here's what I think about. And I've been thinking about it all morning with them playing, right? How awesome was the worship on that third?